Hey guys and welcome to this episode of The Startup Diary. Today we have another interview for you that Adam did recently with a Vlad Edelman, uh, founder of Targetable. So a little bit about Vlad. Vlad has been in the restaurant industry for over 10 years and has helped the likes of Ansible, Soapbox Mobile and ESPN's mobile business increase their CX. In 2014, he founded the game-changing product Herofi that focused exclusively on creating better customer engagement tools for restaurants. And then through all of his wins and losses, Vlad continues to look for ways to improve customer experiences with countless brands. And over the last five years, he has built a company that focuses on equaling out the advertisement playing field. Through using modern rules engines, real-time data visualization, and automated content targeting, Vlad's company, Targetable, delivers an incredibly powerful, affordable, and platform-agnostic advertising engine that allows all retail companies to play like consumer giants. So what does Targetable actually do? Well, let's let Adam ask that question. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview between Adam Callow and Vlad Edelman. Vlad, firstly, hugely appreciate you jumping on the mics with us today. Harry has just done an introduction to who you are, but in your own words, could you share a little bit about who you are, what you've done in your professional background and what you're working on today? Adam, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to, to connect and uh, to talk a little bit. Um, so my background is uh, primarily in media and marketing, and uh, I actually started as a journalist um, covering technology in the Web 1.0 um, era, and so uh, you know, I, I wrote articles about the first uh, uh, websites that started to roll out and um, weird stuff that people were doing online, like dealing drugs and um, you know all sorts of uh, uh, things that were uh, both scary and uh, and fascinating to um, listeners and readers at that point. But um, eventually moved into the business of media because journalism was just exceptionally high paying and I didn't want to make that much money that early in my career. So uh, I decided to uh, uh, move more into the business of it and eventually wound up doing a couple of things. I ran uh, CBS.com and helped build out one of the first big entertainment um, you know, destinations on the web. I ran ESPN's mobility business and built that from zero to about a quarter billion in revenue, um, licensing and, and developing ESPN branded products worldwide. Um, for mobile phones at that point in the very beginning stages as well. Remember ringtones and wallpapers? Not a lot of people do still, and it was uh, a multi-billion dollar industry for a very short um, blink of an eye. Um, And then uh, moved kind of more to the dark side and and was sick and tired of hearing the words, uh, let's go go get a brand to pay for this cool thing, Um, and decided to to go to where the money was and and, uh, wound up um, doing one of my first startups, uh, essentially taking over a small um, text messaging platform company called Soapbox Mobile that was being run by private equity. Um, you know, sold it eventually to Interpublic Group to start Ansible, which was the largest uh, mobile uh, agency, still is one of the largest in the world. Um, did something similar for WPP uh, with a company called Icon. And then realized that ultimately it wasn't the... Uh, it wasn't the companies that I wasn't uh, liking in, in the agency world. It was really the people. <laughs> so uh, I realized that I just wasn't really enjoying the big marketing conglomerate kind of doggy dog, you know, um, uh, agency versus agency uh, battle royales uh, culture that was kind of, um, you know, there. And was really focused on, on developing really cool products and really loved the idea of, 
you know, figuring out ways to connect consumers to technology through their passion points, because that's when you get that, you know, fascinating spark of connection. Um, and that's when you see an entire technologies move forward and get it um, adopted and, and do interesting stuff. But so anyway, long story short, I wound up um, uh, doing a startup called Enviro Networks as a uh, part of a recruitment from Matrix, uh, I'm sorry, from a partner at Matrix um, called Rob Sony, who's now the chairman of my company, recruited me to, to help turn around this company whose IP we sold to, to Google. And after 37 years in New York at that point, I was um, pretty beat up and tired. And um, I had an opportunity to go work for a cable operator running their um, uh, franchise sales group or move out to California and take over as chief product officer for a company called uh, BuzzTime. And Adam, Buzz Time was really fascinating. It connected um, all of these different restaurants and bars um, in the interest of playing trivia and, and, uh, and poker and all these cool little interactive games. But they started doing this back in the 80s and 90s, like when it was really cool because nothing else connected anybody, right, except old phones. Um, and so the problem is they had a classic problem of letting their product get really, really dated. And so by the time I got there in the you know, 20 teens, um, you know, the, the product was stale. Everybody had a mobile phone in their pocket, nothing really particularly, um, uh, you know, innovative about connecting people who are already connected. Um, and then, you know, Wi-Fi was everywhere. So anyway, um, I met my business partner there, Trent, and we actually together partnered to create one of the first tableside ordering tablets in the restaurant industry. And um, we built that, rolled out 64,000 um, uh, units of it, and really got to know retail, right? And really got to know that was when, you know, I kind of moved from the, the virtual world of digital properties and, and taking real world brands and real world uh, concepts and, and, and virtualizing them. And I had come full circle where I was now, um, you know, essentially working to bring the virtual world back into the physical. And so five years ago, after building the tablets, we realized, hey, there's, some, there's a tsunami of um, challenges coming towards retail um, that we can solve in much, much better ways if we're not saddled by 25 years of, of technology debt that BuzzTime had. And so we spun out and we built um, you know, the company that would eventually essentially become Targetable. Um, and I can get in more, more detail to what we do at Targetable, but my background is so, uh, annoyingly long that I'll pause here if you wanted to dig in anywhere. No, I really appreciate that. And I think everyone right now is trying to work out where is Adam going to take this conversation because there are so many things I could unpackage from what you've just covered <laughs> off. I, I think what, what I'd love to know just in, uh, just sort of like how you think about your career today, what are the things that you think you've personally excelled in that gave you the foresight to spin out of buzz times and then create targetable. Like what were the learnings that got you to the point where you go, actually, uh, I'm ready to run my own ship. Um, well, this is my fourth startup. So, so one of the things that oh, wow. I learned was, um, yeah, this is, you know, so, so one of the things I learned was make kind of make new mistakes, right? Because, you know, every time I did something success or failure, and there's plenty of both in my career, um, you learn something and, you know, the key is not to, you're never going to not make mistakes. Um, startups by definition are, you know, mistakes <laughs> because anybody who's, who's crazy enough to abandon, you know, a, 
a full-time job and a steady paycheck to go out and try to start a company and, and uh, you know, uh, visualize an idea or, or build a product from scratch. It's craziness. That's a mistake right there. So, um, but, but if you're making the same mistakes over and over again and you're failing for the same reasons, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, maybe some of the, uh, maybe one of the, two of the most um, incredible lessons that, that I learned that I tried to put to use at, uh, at Targetable was, um, you know, when we started it, it was essentially we built an organic um, agency eventually, right? So we started, we knew we wanted to build a piece of software eventually. But we also knew we didn't want to take a lot of venture cash right out of the gate and, and be subject to the vision of other people and not ours, really, ultimately. We knew we also didn't want to build a product that we thought customers would use. Um, we wanted to build a product that we knew customers would use. And so we forced ourselves into a situation where we didn't take any investment money. So we had to sell to our customer base, Buffalo Wild Wings, Skechers Shoes, Westfield Malls, um, MGM resorts, we had to sell them stuff that they would pay for. Because if we didn't, then then we wouldn't eat. And that forced us to get very, very um, Lord of the Flies about what actually, you know, suddenly that feature on software, that, that thing that you want to sell them that you think is cool, isn't that cool anymore because you can't sell it, right? And you're not going to eat if you don't sell. And so we put ourselves purposefully in a situation where we had to uh, actually focus on what is a client willing to pay for? What is a client willing to pay for uh, a lot, enough that it pays for the production of the software, it pays for the salaries of the people involved, and so on and so forth. Just just and out of so, curiosity, sorry, yeah, sorry of to provide, um, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm piecing it together right. Are you saying that what you were doing, is it like looking at a swan? So you were selling in what looked like automation, but behind the scenes, you were just manually doing it to make sure they would pay for it? Or were you selling it as a service with a goal of turning it into a platform in the future? So both. Okay. Um, so both, right? So we started Targetable. Um, started as a company called Herofy, which is essentially still the the holding company for the for the product. And Herofy, um, you know, started as an agency essentially that built large uh, technology products for retailers, right? And so, for example, we built a product for Buffalo Wild Wings, which has thirteen hundred sports bar locations in the world, one of the largest chains in the world. We built them a product that would take in real-time sports data for 38 different types of sports and it would then react inside of an individual store location to data that was locally relevant so for example if a if there was a game in minneapolis going um you know with the with the uh, football team the vikings um playing and they scored a touchdown then instantaneously Every beer in the in the location would be buy one get one free for fifteen minutes, but that same promotion was linked to the to the performance of Shivas Regal in their Mexico locations where it mattered. It was linked to um, you know uh, the Saudi football uh, soccer league in in their Riyadh location and so on and so forth. And so it was a giant piece of software that was working constantly. And doing the same thing, but because it was reacting to data that was local, it was actually localizing that location and making it feel like a location that was highly local because it knew about sports. It was reacting to the local team. It created a sense of loyalty and a sense of engagement that was really unique. It felt like it. 
I, can, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I can imagine it um, creates like a community hub compared to just somewhere that you go and watch sports and buy beer. Out of curiosity, was that something you'd seen in the market and have improved it? Like, what was it in your background that made you have the idea? And from one sales professional to another, how do you go and sell that into someone like um, that location, that Buffalo Wings location that's got 1,300 yeah. locations? Like, what does that sell process look like? I'm just, uh, this is not one of yeah, my yeah, questions, of but I'm just curious. So, so lots of, there's lots of questions in that question. Um, so I'll, I'll, try, I'll unpack that, but it's, um, so first of all, all of the, um, I spent a lot of time in sports to begin with, right? So besides ESPN, I, I worked at the Sporting News, and I love sports because even though I am not necessarily a crazy level fan of any any particular team or sport, I love sports in general. But um, what I love is passion and how passion can interconnect with technology to help to help adoption, right? And so. I've loved sports forever because of that. I've loved music because of that, right? There are certain passion points and certain things that will get consumers to engage with your technology product or or your content product or your service in a way that is truly organic and truly long-term. And those things happen um, you know, very often through other passions that they have. And sports and music are, are very, very powerful that way. And so... I've always loved sports, and when you ask how we came up with the idea, the idea is as old as 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 bars itself, which is essentially the idea of the bartender ringing the cowbell when there's been a, you know, when there's been a goal or when there's been a, you know, uh, any kind of event, and saying, you know, shots on the house because the team, the local team, won. I need to go to bars so, that you go to. No bar over here in the UK is that generous, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> I've only I've only watched uh, I've only watched that happen on TV, frankly. But, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but it, it is that idea, right? And so, um, and then to, to answer your question, how do you sell it? Um, you know, this was a really interesting um, this was a really interesting opportunity because everybody loved the idea. The problem was, how do you actually how do you actually implement something like this? Um, and how do you, uh, and, and you know, the, so I'll, I'll go back, I'll come back to that in a second, but to answer your question of how to sell this, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings is a franchise model, right? And so, um, and this, you know, this, this is a, a business concept, obviously that's quite as, as uh, prevalent in the UK as anywhere else. But, um, and so, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings has 1300 locations, but 650 of them are owned by operators, franchisees who pay 3% of their top line revenue to Buffalo Wild Wings every year to operate the brand and blah, blah, blah. Well, the way you sell an idea like that is you find the most influential franchisee, you get them excited about this idea, and you create a bellwether execution, and you execute it in their locations, and then create a, create a disparity of haves and have-nots, right? And as soon as it starts to work in one franchise location, all the other franchisees want it. And then suddenly there's pressure on corporate to supply a service that suddenly everybody's like, wait a minute, why does Bob, you know, get to do all this cool shit, you know, and, it, and it's, uh, and it, and it winds up being, um, you know, a snow, a, a rolling snowball where, um, you know, then corporate finds themselves under pressure to figure out, okay, well, how do we do this and how do we standardize it? And, you know, how do we make this something part of the brand? We knew the brand really well at that point. We had worked with them for over 10 years. And so, um, you know, we had already formatted in a way that we knew that they would like and buy. And then we essentially rolled it out in a big franchisee and waited for them to call us. 
out of curiosity, you had that unfair advantage because you knew them for 10 years. That model mm-hmm. you've just discussed about sort of creating the wedge and then the fast follow from the rest of franchisees, then corporate, have you used that with uh, with any degree Constantly. of success? With other, okay, so the franchisees are a model that you can roll that same process out to. That is literally the wow. playbook with, with um, that is the playbook with franchise brands. Um, and it's funny because I don't see it uh, played out that way a lot, but um, at least in my career, we work literally with almost entirely franchise brands um, as targetable, um, or, or they're a huge part of our customer base. Um, you know, that is to me the most effective and the quickest way to, to actual revenue and to actual operationalization. Most brands, you know, whether it's a, it's a large restaurant brand or whether it's an education brand like uh, Mathnasium or whether it's anybody who's, who's franchising their, their brand, you know, the, people forget that, um, you know, the corporate brands aren't the ones who are actually running the, the, the stores at the base level. So in many cases, they don't have the ability or the power in their franchise agreements to force you know, their franchisees to do certain things that force them to spend money. And so, you know, a lot of people beat their heads up against the wall of the corporate brand thinking, oh, I'm going to pick something to Subway, Subway uh, sandwich shops. There's 47 and a half thousand of them worldwide. I'm going to pitch one person and that's going to get me into 47,000. Good luck, mate, <laughs> as, as, as you would put it. it. It is going to be a long process of getting them to like something and then you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to find the franchisees and you're going to have to sell it from door to door to door. And that's brutal. So what you find is the one franchisee, like we're working with, with Subway that has two and a half thousand Subways. He has more Subways than most other chains have locations. (laughs) And he is the bellwether franchisee. We talked to other franchisees. We tried to figure out who do other franchisees look to to, to see what they should be doing. How do you find and, that person? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, we, it's a lot of uh, uh, trial and error, but it actually, by just asking, okay. right? Because uh, in almost every case, we have found the right franchisees by, by either finding the, the person at corporate and saying, hey, you know, which franchisees are the ones who are always asking you for something or always the ones who want to innovate? Who are the franchisees in the, in the top third? Because it usually falls into three categories. You've got the third that is ahead of everything and wants to deploy cool technology and is at the cutting edge and they're constantly badgering the brand to do cooler stuff and why aren't you doing waiting lists and why aren't you doing games and blah, blah, blah. Then there's the second third that essentially just looks to the first third to see what they should be doing and then is a fast follow. So if the first third deploys something, um, you know, first, then the next third deploys it in the next six months after the first third. And then the last third, you have to convince kicking and screaming and won't do anything until they see exactly a dollar for dollar or a dollar and one, um, you know, return on their investment. Um, And that's because a lot of franchise brands have, um, you know, folks who are not, you know, particularly good business people, you know, licensing their brands who are stretched financially or who are, you know, doing a lot of other things. And so, you know, that's, that's your job as a salesperson is to go out and, and convince them why they should be doing it. 
I like that. Vlad, I'm at risk of just taking this down into a franchise uh, sales playbook because that's something that I'm personally interested in, to be honest. We can um, come back to that if you want. Yeah. yeah, perfect. I think we've mentioned a couple of brands there and it's clear that you play in the restaurant space as a business. Uh, I just wanted to not to make sure I'm not being tone deaf right now for the, for the listeners when they listen to the show. Um, right now, given the current circumstances, we're in, we're in the middle of COVID and I can imagine that a lot of your customer base is significantly impacted by this. And I just wanted to like get a sense of one, what are you seeing? How is it impacting your business culture? I guess from, from one, from one CEO to another, like if we were having a coffee or a beer, like share with me what's going on behind the scenes right now and how you're viewing things. Well, you know, to be frank, I mean, what's going on is incredibly sad. Um, and, and a very, very, um, uh, you know, very, very profound for the restaurant industry, which is it's mm-hmm. it's having its it's having its um, moment of truth, right? Because uh, you know what what's happened to our business. I'll tell you in a minute, but um, what's happened to the restaurant business is that um, they're not in business anymore, right? So if you can't operate your physical location as a restaurant, then then you're not in business. And so what's happened is you know a lot of these. Uh, a lot of businesses, a lot of small business people uh, have had to learn how to do business in a completely different way um, and with everything at stake overnight. And that has created, um, in some places, it's created carnage. Um, and in some places, it's created grace and, and, and innovation. But um, it's also created a lot of sadness and a lot of people's dreams, um, you know, essentially um, watching them get destroyed because, you know, the reality is that restaurants are an incredibly thin margin business. You know, they're very hard to do. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I would not start a restaurant. I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, I've spent a decade working in, in, uh, in or close to restaurants as an industry, and it's a brutalizingly difficult um, business to, to, to succeed at um, in the best of times. Um, so, but what's happened to our business is, you know, we went from, so take a one, one short step back, which, you know, so what is targetable, right? Targetable is essentially an advertising agency in a box, right? And it's a software platform that literally generates, um, instantaneously Facebook, Instagram, um, and other, uh, ad platform, uh, advertisements, um, that are informed by local data. And so what the platform does is you put in your Facebook location um, or you log in with Facebook uh, to be more accurate. We pull in your actual business location and then the the system actually builds a a data profile for you. It pulls in weather patterns, traffic patterns, demographics, geographic location, psychographic information. And then it starts to manufacture commercials for you and advertisements for you that are highly effective because they're, they know what they're, where they're operating. So they know there's a military base around the corner. They know that it rains or it's cold um, all the time. And so to advertise, you know, other things. Sorry, you're you're not, you're you're not pulling in purely just uh, Facebook's data points. You're pulling in lots of other third party data points into the platform also. That's exactly right. Yes. We're pulling in everything about you. We're pulling in everything about you uh, on Facebook. We're pulling in everything about you that has ever been written anywhere on the internet period. So we're pulling in reviews and comments from Google, from Google, my business, from Yelp, from open table, from TripAdvisor, And we're doing that very quickly in minutes. Um, We're building that profile and then we're, 
we're pulling in data that is much more broad-based and then also from inside the system. So if, uh, for example, if, uh, if uh, I'm trying to use British examples, but it sounds so <laughs> awkward for me. So like, imagine there's a chip shop in Chicago. Well, no, that's not called a chip shop. But anyway, um, imagine, you know, there's a pizzeria on the corner of a Chicago street. The, you know, the, the, the 10th or 15th or 20th one that joins in Chicago benefits um, in part from the experience of the other 10, right? And so, um, so the system has a lot of intelligence already in it. Um, and it pulls in all that data and then it creates these uh, uh, ads that are already formatted, already have the media buying strategy and are essentially, you know, coming out of the system fully formed telling you not only here's what the, it looks like, but allowing you to edit it and, and do anything you want to it. But it also most importantly says, here's how much media you should buy, what networks you should buy it on, how long you should run it, and what you should expect as results. That was what we realized was missing, right? Because most, most small business people, but also lo lots of large brands, you know, a good media agency costs an individual restaurant, you know, two, two thousand, five thousand, seven thousand dollars um, a month to do the job correctly. Well, coming back to the current situation, that was hard to afford, you know, in, in the best of times. Mm -hmm. It's impossible today. And so, you know, what we're seeing is our business has gone up fourfold um, from the day of the quarantine. And so we were building pretty aggressively and, and we launched in November. We were doing really well. And then now we are drinking from the fire hose because if you think about it, everybody in the industry has to tell customers how to now order from them. What is, um, what's the new menu? Um, how do you do curbside? What are your hours? Like it's the basic stuff of communicating to people and customers who have now all gone online. And so businesses that used to not have to really think about their websites, not really have to have all of their digital presence buttoned up, that, that whole era is over because everybody's now become an online-only business, right? Whether you're a restaurant or, or whether, you, you know, whether you create socks, um, you know, you, you're an online business because there is no such thing as physical business right now. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's had to suddenly become an expert in how to, um, you know, do business online, how to sell online, um, how to market online. And that's where we come in, where we said, okay, well, you know, at the very least, we can take care of the how to market online piece of it for you for 149 bucks a month. And in fact, because of COVID um, and because we felt like, you know, we didn't want to feel like war profiteers, you know, um, you know, making, making our yep. future during a crisis. We, we decided, you know what, we're just going to free, free rate our software for the next two months for anybody who needs it. And, um, and then we'll figure out what happens in two months in terms of those customers and, and onboarding them and, and making them true customers. But for now, we're just trying to help as many people as possible communicate with their customers for the first time online. And out of curiosity, how are you how are you getting in front of these customers right now well it's simple we're buying our way there right because you know one one thing that um you know one thing that we tell customers all the time which is you know or, organic social doesn't exist um because it's it's an absolute waste of time if you if you want to post on your instagram feed a beautiful you know picture of your pasta um, the only people seeing it are your friends, your family, and 160 Indonesian bots, right? And that's it. But Indonesian bots, they don't need food. So they're not going to come, you know, to your, to your restaurant. 
um, what you need to do is you need to buy paid media to get in front of the people most likely to buy what you're selling. And that's what our system knows. But what that's what some uh, a lot of people don't realize is you don't have to spend a lot of money, but you do have to spend money. And so we have people spending as little as $5 a day in paid media, buying their way to tens of thousands of eyeballs and tens of thousands of people who are, let's say, within a five you know, kilometer radius of their location. They have you know, eaten in a similar restaurant. They look a lot like another type of audience that would love your particular restaurant. They have Italian uh, cooking as a, as a love on their website and so on and so forth, right? Um, but you have to, you have to actually pay your way to it and you have to do it over and over and over again consistently. That's the real key. There's no, there's no magic, uh, uh, password to how to do, um, uh, online or Facebook marketing effectively. It's about doing the right thing over and over again every day. And that's frequency and consistency. And a lot of people spend so much time on an ad that, you know, they're like, whew, I made an ad. Ooh, that took forever. I had to talk to the kid who knows IT. I had to learn how to make an image. I had to take a uh, picture and blah, blah, blah. And so what happens is they're like, okay, great. Well, I'm going to let this run for a month. Mistake, right? It's, it's, you have to do that over and over every day. You have to find your audience. You have to buy the audience. You have to buy, uh, make the ad. And that's what's so, uh, so difficult about it. But talking about ads right now is because of the state of the current climate, what are you seeing from your existing clients that what adverts are they running that are working and how are you measuring success right now? If you're a restaurant that's closed, how do you build an ad set that you measure as successful when you might not be able to transact? How are these guys uh, and business owners managing to stay top of mind for their customers, let them know, like how are you measuring success for your customers right now that aren't able to transact and, and what's working? Those two questions. Well, look, um, if you are completely closed as a restaurant, then you're not advertising. Um, but, but don't you think that's a mistake? Because um, when, when things reopen in the future, and this is, this is just how I'm thinking about it, because as a service-based business, we do advertising, we do paid media, but for the construction sector. And the argument that we're making is, we don't want to feel like your brand is launching again in three, six months time when, when we reopen and go business goes back to normal. Do you not think there's, there's an opportunity for brands now to either create authority content? If you're a restaurant, an example, like create recipes at home just to stay top of mind, or is it because that's a very curated experience that the brand would have to do that it won't fit via your platform? Like I think right now brands should be still paying if possible to make sure they don't feel like a relaunch in three to six months time. Um, what What's your views on that? Um, so, so I think that your point on relaunch is a really good one um, because I think that there's a minimal. So, so I would look at it a little bit differently in that, um, and, and but it's the same, essentially the same point you're making. So, for example, in terms of buying um, active local media, for example, put that that's really about pushing towards an uh, an action that you're trying to get your customer to take. Mm -hmm. Pick up the phone and call us. Um, you know, uh, drive by and pick up dinner, um, you know, call us and, and we'll bring food to your house, right? So th those are all um, actions you're trying to get the customer to take. And so if you're closed, obviously, that's not, um, you know, that's not something that, that makes sense for you. However, what does make sense for you 
is um, to uh, two things. One is risk. Risk itself has never been cheaper, right? So, you know, and we talk to, about this with customers all the time. So if you put off, if you thought it was too risky to have a business model that allowed people to, to you know, pick up pre-made food from you, if you, you know, if you thought it was too risky to have a really good website that, that had recipes and you thought that if people started cooking at home, then they wouldn't come to your restaurant. Well, guess what? The risk itself has become very, very cheap. So if you were going to ever try something, if you were ever going to uh, change your business model, if you were ever going to take a risk, take it now because you have, you have a lot less to lose today because there's so much more to lose overall if you don't take a risk and if you don't figure out a way to have your brand survive this. Love that. So absolutely, I mean, uh, you know, absolutely to what you're saying Yes, you should be experimenting with everything that allows your brand to stay top of mind. I would, you should I would, be doing recipes. You should be doing everything. I would follow up and say a business that is standing still, the biggest risk right now is doing nothing, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, uh, you, you, what was the second point? So risk is cheap. I love that as a statement as well. Risk, risk has never been yeah. cheaper. Well, and also the second thing is if you've been kicking you know, the can down the alleyway uh, on, on fixing your digital um, profile that can has has reached the wall right there is no there's that that alleyway is done as is this metaphor and so um you know and and look the restaurant industry is particularly bad at this um i can't tell you how many times i've gone to a restaurant website and instead of seeing the things i want which is when are you open what is your address what type of food do you have they have statement from the chef like it's seven pages of like you know my theory on you know fusion indian french food i don't care you know i just i really just don't care i just need to and and then you're hunting and looking around for like i don't know where this place is i can't i can't get to it because you didn't put the address on the website well that's a cheap example but the reality is physical retail because because of how they operate in the real world in many cases have left their digital um you know profile um you know to 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 uh falter right and to uh decay and not to be as accurate as it could be not to be as 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 engaging as it should be well that is over because even if you survive this and frankly in the us you know if i had to estimate you know we have about seven hundred thousand restaurants you know, I'd be surprised if if more than half a million came came back. Um, wow. You know, because I think uh, it's such a tough business to. Um, I'm sorry about this constant ringing on my on my end. It's a bell for uh, alerts that I thought I turned off, but I didn't. So I apologize. Um, but it's a uh, it's you know it's it's something that um, you know it, it is not is no longer something that you can essentially uh, skip as part of your business. Because, you know, if you do come back, and if you're one of the half million restaurants in the US at least that, ha that has come back, you will come back stronger, right? Because to your point, you will have experimented, you will have tried uh, pickup and delivery and curbside takeout, you will have realized how to operate at margins that make delivery possible, you will have stopped complaining about Uber Eats and DoorDash and every other service taking 30% of your revenue, you would have figured out how to actually operate at margins that allow you to either pay your own driver or to use one of these services. You will have experimented with 
everything that you possibly could to stay in business. And that's going to make a lot of operators who come out of this much, much stronger and much more, more formidable um, you know, competitors. And so if I'm a brand that's been operating in my own space for a long time now, and I think that you know, I'm going to be able to continue business as usual, I don't think so. You're going to have a lot of small businesses who are going to come back much more competitive and much more aggressive. Um, and they're going to give uh, the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and the Taco Bells and the KFCs a run for their money because those guys, you know, what are they doing? They're just saying, okay, we're also available takeout. Well, you were available takeout beforehand and your food was, was you know, what it was beforehand. Yeah, I completely agree. We're, we're a small business and I keep driving into our team here that we don't want to go back to normal. We want to go back to better. Um, and it's just put forced. Great, to put a, great expression. That's right. Appreciate it. We, we do, it's forced us to put a magnifying glass on the business and just work out like operationally, where are we not efficient? Um, I like you say, the companies that come through this are 100% going to be stronger. Uh, Vlad, as we, as we sort of like draw this conversation to the close and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself right now, I just want to get some bits from you in terms of if someone's listening to this right now and they've never tried paid media, how does someone dip their toe in the water? Because I guess naturally someone is going to dip their toe in the water before using a service like Targetable. Or you might tell me differently that uh, actually Targetable is the place to start. Give me an idea for someone listening that says, actually, before I go across to Targetable, I want to get a feeling of what paid media is, what it looks like. Like you say, build that muscle up so I at least know what I'm buying from Targetable. How does someone get started today if they want to give it a go? Well, so I would say absolutely. We, we built Targetable to be that first step, right? Because you don't buy media from us. You buy expertise. You buy the ability to buy media from us. Meaning that, you know, we don't buy Facebook media on, you know, on spec and resell it at a, at a mm -hmm. premium. You, if you're spending $100 on Facebook media with Targetable, you're getting $100. You're just paying us our own licensing fee because we're creating all the ads and we're creating all of the strategy for how you should buy it. So we literally created Targetable to be the comprehensive media buying and planning partner to any business for paid social media. And so, um, you know, not to make this all about us, but, you know, when you ask what is the way to tip, tip um, you know, to dip your toe in the water, um, it's certainly through us. I mean, the only other uh, thing that I would say is don't, don't go straight to an agency because if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to wind up paying a lot of money for mediocre templates um, and, you know, essentially... Uh, mailed in creative because your account is not going to be big enough, right? So even if you're paying two, three, five thousand dollars a month or or pounds a month, you know, for uh, an agency to be your social media agency and, and partner, right? You know what that amounts to? That's not even a, a junior media planner salary all all in, mm -hmm. right? And so if you think about it, you can't be getting amazing work. So if you're not going to targetable at the very least try it yourself like go to the facebook ad platform manager go to the google ad platform manager try to understand the terminology learn about audiences learn about how those companies um you know segment their audiences and what language they use to talk about their media so that when you do talk to an agency or when you do log in with targetable you you have a better understanding of what it is that we are doing on your behalf but you know, we really built Targetable. If you look at our interface, it looks a lot more like Instagram and 
Uber and Airbnb than it does of like Eloqua and Mercado and some other marketing automation uh, software. And that's because we built it um, with the with with the absolute most basic user in mind, and, you know, and and with the idea that if you can order a cab from Uber, then you can actually uh, you can you can build and launch your own uh, ad through Targetable, and that's the simplicity of the software. I love that, Vlad. Uh, and to be honest, normally I'm a I'm a big fan of pushing people to learn it themselves uh, and then go and hire services, like you said, agency or targetable. But I, I do understand you guys have got that offer on right now. And, and just to be transparent with the listenership, like I didn't know that offer was available till the top of the show. So I wasn't going to end this show with a big plug for targetable. But I think with the offer that you've got on now, Vlad, how can people take full advantage of that? Whether they go to, uh, because I think right now, um, getting in front of your audience. This is what I'm telling the brands that we work with right now, right now ad spend is cheaper than ever. I think on average, a uh, Facebook impression is 40% cheaper than it normally is. Now's the time to test risk is cheaper. I'm a big believer in this space anyway. Um, where do people go to sort of take advantage of the offer you've got right now, Vlad? Well, they go to targetable.com. Like I said, we're giving away two months free. We are not a, we don't, we don't have contracts. We don't have lock-ins. We're month to month. We'd never charge, um, you know, for something that we can't deliver. And I'll give you an example. We deliver on average 10 to 12% top line revenue gains for our customers. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We deliver Nathan's, which is a big 400 unit brand that works with us. They just did a press release about us that we didn't even know about saying that they were, they were getting 17 times the, the penetration and reach using targetable um, instead of their uh, usual uh, circulars and mailers and all this other stuff. Um, we are, uh, we are small business people. So we think of like small business people and we know that you don't have six months or 12 months or two years to get to results. You have uh, four weeks or two weeks. And so um, if, if we're not working and we're not producing um, revenue for you, we're not producing results for you, um, then we shouldn't be taking your money. And so um, give us a try for two months or give us a try for a month. And if you don't um, love it, then you haven't risked anything. I respect that model. We do something here in our business as well. Uh, Vlad, just out of curiosity, obviously we're based in the UK. Is the offer available for the UK or solely for the US? Um, it's available for the UK as well. Um, we're just in the process of launching um, in the UK through a potential partnership with a large mobile um, provider that'll remain nameless. Uh, but, um, you know, they have a lot of small business uh, um, accounts that um, will potentially be using us very soon as well, but um, will be available in the UK. You, you can use us now, but we'll have certain very UK-centric features um, available within the next, um, you know, four to six weeks. Vlad, really enjoyed this. Um, and I know that uh, Sam Wilcox, who's the, one of the founders here at MBS, um, who's launching his own marketing automation podcast, will desperately be trying to get you on there because it feels like that would be, well, I know personally that would be a conversation I'd, I'd love to listen to. Uh, Vlad, I just want to say a huge thank you for your time today. Are there any parting words before we close this up? No, just look uh, to everybody who's sitting at home today and, and thinking about the future and thinking about how they're going to survive this. You know, just, you know, it's, it seems like such a, such a cliche thing to say, but this will end, you know, and things will get back to normal and think about, think about the company you want to be when things do and, and operate as that company. Um, because um, very, you know, you, you, it'll happen in a blink of an eye, we'll be back to normal and we'll wonder when, 
where the bandwidth went that, that the um, that the quarantine allowed us to to take advantage of. But um, stay strong and stay healthy. Love that advice. Thanks very much for your time, Vlad. Thank you, Adam. Take care.